Good morning, everybody. My name is uh, Spencer. I get to be the lead staff elder here at Church of the City, um, participating as one of the elders, leading our staff. Um, really get to, I really enjoy getting to do that work. Uh, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we are in a series that we've been calling Following Jesus, Everyday Rhythms for Deep Communion. The purpose behind this series is that we say every week that our mission as Church of the City is following Jesus together in Guelph. That's the shorthand for what we believe our purpose is here in the city. But we need to know what it actually means to follow Jesus that's something that we can say a lot. We can talk about discipleship, but what does that look like in daily life? How do we actually do that? Followers of Jesus have been figuring out what that looks like for centuries and have been injecting rhythms and practices into their lives as ways of following Jesus uh, in everyday life. And so we're exploring some of these rhythms together through the course of the series, considering how we might make these rhythms a part of our lives here in Guelph in 2024, and considering why we would want to do that. As we think about these different practices, why would we want to be engaged with them? What kind of change would this bring about in our lives? Why would we want to participate in that? This morning, uh, we're talking about another practice, um, what Ken Shigematsu, if you've been following along in Ken's book, he calls it sacred reading. Um, we might, you might just say reading the scriptures or spending time in the Bible. This is a practice that, again, Christians have been engaged in for centuries. I want to start our time together this morning by showing you three things. I brought three uh, artifacts, if you will, uh, from my life. They all have significance for me, but very different kinds of significance, okay? So the first, um, this is a box, obviously. I, I don't know where the key is. I've, I've never had the key, but inside are letters. Uh, I keep in this box Letters that I've collected over the years that uh, significant people in my life have written to me. Unsurprisingly, many of them are from my wife, Sam, but some are from family, uh, close friends. When I turned 30 uh, a few years ago, Sam asked some people close to me to write me letters, a really meaningful gift. Those are in there. So this box, you know, maybe you have a stash of letters like this somewhere. Um, it's significant, right? There's uh, a relational significance to this. It represents years of relationship that I have with different people. Um, so there's a, a, a relational significance, a personal significance to that box of letters for me. The next thing I want to show you, you probably don't need much description for, or if you do, welcome to the modern world. Um, we're glad you're here. Uh, this is my laptop, specifically a MacBook. Uh, this has significance for me. I, I hope I don't need to say a very different significance than this box of letters, but a, a significance nonetheless. These are not cheap. Anyone who uses a MacBook knows they're, they're not cheap. Um, but in terms of the, the amount of time that I spend using something in a day, this would rank near the top. I use this for uh, the, the majority of the work that I do. I use it to correspond with many of you through email, to study for uh, sermons, to prepare uh, these messages. Um, it has tremendous practical significance for me, okay? 
personal or relational significance, practical significance. I go to this for answers, to, uh, you know, look up a news story, understand something that's happening in the world, understand a theological concept, understand what's going on with you, practical significance, okay? Lastly, uh, the last artifact I want to show us is uh, this. This is uh, an antique copy of John Milton's collected works. So uh, I know there are many students in the room. If you are near the end of your degree, those of you who were students at one point, maybe you had the same experience that I did, which is you're near the end and you have a couple of credits that you still need to fill and, you know, no obligation. You can just kind of take whatever you want. You know, you're not thinking strategically about the courses. And so I was in that situation, and I took a course on uh, John Milton. I was not an English major. Um, I confessed that the first day in the class. I said, I'm not an English major, so I'm going to say things that probably make no sense about what I thought was neat in Paradise Lost this week or whatever. Thoroughly enjoyed that course. Thoroughly enjoyed reading uh, Milton's works. And so Sam knew this, and so got me this antique copy of uh, Milton's collected works. I believe it's from sometime around the year 1900, 1900, 1905, somewhere in there. There is no date in it, so I've just done some Googling, Googling uh, to inform myself about when this book is from. This, you know, doesn't have practical significance for me. I, you know, not too often am I needing to reference uh, Milton's line from Paradise Lost, and even if I did, I probably wouldn't open this book. As you can see, it only has a handful more opens before it just gives up and is no longer a book. Um, It doesn't have much practical significance, neither does it really have relational significance. It was bought for me by someone I care deeply about, but I'd say I, I still have a reverence for this book. In a sense, it has a historical significance. Never met John Milton. He and I have not had the chance to sit down for coffee. He's dead, if you weren't aware of that. Um, but this has some historical significance. I feel a reverence for this book. It's special to me, nonetheless. What I want us to explore this morning is how you would characterize your relationship with this book. I just described three things of significance in my life. Which one of those things most closely mirrors the way that you relate to the Bible? We'll unpack this a little bit more, explore it together uh, over the next few minutes. But before you do that, let's start the way that we always do, with a pause. Um, Take a few deep breaths. Consider actually what's going on in your body, what's going on in your, your heart, in your mind. God cares about all of those things. I'll pray in just a moment, and we'll continue on, okay? God, thank you for bringing us here to this place together. And thank you for your word. Amidst a whole uh, host of different perspectives, 
that might be in the room about this book, about its purpose, about its relevance. I pray that through our time together today, even one or two people might see the ways that this book can lead to a deeper relationship with you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I thought it important because we can't assume the, the background that you have to first sort of maybe define the terms that we're using. You've already maybe heard me say the Bible, the scriptures, God's word. Uh, you might not have much context for what, me, what we mean when we say that, for what this book is or where we as followers of Jesus believe that it came from. So let's do some defining of terms. The Bible also known as the scriptures, also known as God's word, is God's written word to humankind. We believe that it is one unified story in that it has one ultimate source, God, and ultimately points to one person, Jesus Christ. But it is also, it is one unified story, but it is also a library That's why we'll sometimes use this term, the scriptures. It's a library of 66 different books, comprising an Old and a New Testament. And while it was inspired by God, it was also written by human authors. And if you ask any Christian to precisely explain how those two things can be true at once, you'll get sort of a smile, because it's a mystery. And yet we believe that it's true. It's God's words, and yet it's human words from from human authors written out of their vocabulary and experience. This is what we believe this book is. None of that, though, answers the question of why you would want to be actively engaged in it, reading the scriptures as part of your daily life, let alone actually how to do that. So we're going to explore that together. Here's our outline for the rest of our time. If you have been with us since the start of this series, you know that I started by saying that a plan for following Jesus, well, first I said we need a plan. It doesn't just happen automatically. We need a plan for following Jesus. And for those plans to actually lead to transformation, we need three elements. The first was desire. Sometimes people jump straight into like, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to do X, Y, Z. I'm going to do it this often. And they never get down to the level of their heart of how do I want to change? Do I want deeper communion with God? We start with desire, figuring out what's going on in our hearts. And then we connect that to discipline, to rhythms and practices that we want to try and stick to in our lives. But lastly, the third ingredient is that we need divine help in that. Otherwise, we're just being busybodies. But if God meets us in our efforts, which he promises to do, then transformation can happen. So for the rest of our time, here's how we're going to proceed through things. We're going to start by considering how to follow Jesus through reading the Bible. We're going to start with discipline, in other words, how to do this. And then we're going to consider what engaging with the, the scriptures, why would that would be something we'd want to do, what, we, what kind of changes we can see in our lives. So we're going to start with discipline this morning and then move to, des- to desire. And again, if you were with us over the first couple weeks, the the messages that I was teaching, this is a reversal. We were starting typically with desire. We we talked about Sabbath two weeks ago. Why is Sabbath something that we would even want in our lives? And then we talked about how to do it. 
So you might ask the question, why am I flipping things around this morning, flipping the script? Here's why. I think reading God's word, spending time in the scriptures, is unique among spiritual disciplines and practices in that, maybe more than any other discipline, it's one that we can train ourselves to love. It's one that we can train ourselves to love by by doing it. And actually, this psalm that Steph read a portion of for us, if you are familiar with the scriptures, you may know that Psalm 119 is the longest of all the psalms. This is a diary. Psalm 119 is a diary, a journal of someone growing, perhaps over the course of a whole life, to love God's word more and more and more, to saturate themselves with it more, season by season, year by year. Consider some of these verses that Steph read for us, verses 5 to 8. Look there if you do have a Bible. Starting at the beginning, right? If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, if only, then I would not be ashamed when I think about all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous judgments. Sounds like someone trying to will this to happen, right? I will keep your statutes. Never abandon me. But then if we go to the end, we see what the end of this journey might look like. Verse 164. Yes, this is a long psalm. I praise you seven times a day for your righteous judgments. Verse 167. I obey your decrees and love them greatly. I love them greatly. A French commentator says, that in order to be able to understand and enjoy this psalm, he says, we must have had in some measure at least the same experiences as its author, and like him, have learned to love and practice the sacred word. Learned to love and practice the sacred word. Some of you are in the middle of that journey. Some of you are at the end of that journey of learning to love and practice this word, and some of you are just at the beginning. Regardless, we're glad you're here. I hope that the Spirit teaches you something new or stirs up something new in your heart. So I believe, in other words, to summarize, that through small acts of discipline and faithfulness, we can become students of this book and lovers of this book. So let's start with how to begin that journey, how to move towards becoming those kinds of people. In other words, thinking about discipline. And the the question I want to, to frame this with is, how do we follow Jesus through reading the Bible, right? Considering the title of this series, how do we follow Jesus through reading the Bible? And again, to remind us, when we say following Jesus, I'd say we're talking about two things. We've already said this this morning. Following Jesus means growing in deeper relationship with him, and as a result, experiencing transformation because of that deepening relationship. Following Jesus means relationship and transformation. So how can reading the scriptures contribute to those things? We're going to use my three artifacts to move through this part of our conversation this morning. And I'm going to move in a progression that's intentional. I'm going to start with the problem that I think might be the least prevalent among us and move to the problem that I think probably affects the most of us, okay? I'll explain more as we go. Let me start with our friend Milton again. 
I wonder if anyone here struggles to feel any reverence for this book, any reverence for the scriptures, the way that I feel some reverence for Milton. I should clarify, I feel an even greater reverence for God's word, in case you were wondering that. What would this look like? Well, maybe you read the scriptures now and then. Uh, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you follow some great Instagram Bible quotes accounts, right? So it floats through your Instagram. You get to take in some scriptures that way. Maybe you open up the Bible app. Um, if you're stuck in a waiting room, you know, flip through, read a chapter or two. I'm not saying any of these are bad, for the record. Maybe you listen to the audio Bible when you're driving now and then. But if you were honest, if you died today, if you're honest, the, the, the folks who dealt with your affairs, right, who cleaned out your home or your apartment, who um, uh, uh, divvied up your estate, students are, maybe you're thinking, what estate, you know, div- divvied up uh, some, some books. Um, but if you died today, would the folks who dealt with your affairs, at the end of that, would they believe that the Bible had any significance for you? Would they come across anything that said that this book mattered in your life, that you revered it in some way? If the answer is no, and you might be thinking, well, why is this even important? I'd say in the digital world in which we live, I said, right, this has, I spend so much time on this, I'm even preaching from another Apple product. When we spend so much time in in digital lives, we can forget that, like, this this is a book, God gave us this thing that we can have and, and, and flip through and, and read cover to cover and underline, and that would be my suggestion to you. If you feel like, yeah, I maybe engage with the Bible now and then, but I don't feel any sort of reference for it, go out and spend your hard-earned money on a Bible. I would argue the nicest Bible that you can afford. And then, Keep it somewhere in your home where you see it. Maybe even keep it open to a passage that you're reading through. Start underlining in it. Keeping a record of what you're reading, of what's standing out to you. Write prayers in the margins. In other words, give this book the financial investment and the place in your home that it deserves. And start creating today what one day will be an important, a significant inheritance for somebody. I want Grandpa's Bible because I know there are years of investment in that book. Psalm 119, verses 127 to 128. Since I love your commands more than gold, even the purest gold, I carefully follow all your precepts and hate every false way. Next, maybe, maybe you do feel some reverence. Maybe actually you have, you know, an antique Bible from a, a, a grandparent or something that you've inherited. You do feel some reverence for this book. You know, you, you keep, it, keep it somewhere important in your home. But maybe your struggle is on the, the practical side. Remember I said this piece of technology has tremendous practical significance for me. I use it almost every day in my work. I find answers there. Maybe that is far from your relationship with the scriptures. 
you read it now and then. Maybe you really love the Gospels, the stories about Jesus' life, because Jesus is such a remarkable person. But in terms of day-to-day decision-making, understanding the world better, like the, the scriptures, the Bible, is not high on that list. You understand what I'm saying? It has very little practical significance for you. Ken Shikamatsu says this in his book, in this chapter about sacred reading. The goal of our reading and meditating is not just to know God's ways, though that is certainly important. It's not just to know God's ways, but to do God's word, living in obedience to it. So, if this is true of you, you maybe feel some, some reverence for the scriptures, but it has little practical significance in your life. Doesn't affect your decision-making much. I have a suggestion for you, and it's this. Treat reading the scriptures, maybe even just for a season, treat reading the scriptures like getting hydrated. By a show of hands, who's ever, you know, like, tried to, like, scientifically, based on your, you know, height and weight and all that, really tried to get hydrated? Maybe you downloaded a hydration app or something. Has anybody done that? A few of us. Um, it's a nightmare, okay? Uh, I say that because you just have to drink so much more than you'd ever expect. Like, anybody who's done it knows you're, like, drinking constantly, okay? I would invite you, maybe for a season, to treat the scriptures that way. Take it in throughout your day in a, a steady stream. What does this look like? Read it in the morning. Maybe five, ten minutes. Listen to it on your commute. Read it aloud with others. Life in a missional community should include the reading of scriptures aloud. Read it before bed. I believe, friends, that if you start consuming the scriptures more and more, that what you'll find is that this book takes on a relevance, a significance for your life that you will be surprised by, beautifully surprised by. Maybe... Maybe you hear that and you think, Spencer, I am a pre-med student, okay? Or I work in a trade, like I feel, I, again, I revere this book, but in terms of practical significance in my everyday life, I'm not sure what's going to really happen. Let me give you an example that might illustrate the change, okay? We all know, we all know, maybe you are this person, if not you know someone who became uh, a disciple of the office or friends or community, name the sitcom, right? A a long-running sitcom. And after about the fifth or the sixth or the sixteenth watch-through of the whole show, that person, again, maybe it's you, uh, can relate all of life, again, if you have this friend, you're like, yeah, it's all of life, to some episode of The Office or Friends or Community. Oh, this is Michael Scott. This is just like Michael Scott in season four. And you're thinking, if it's one of your friends, you're like, yes, we get it. It's a great show. It's super funny. They'll be able to relate life to that show, that show to life in ways that you never will if you've watched an episode here or there. And you might think it's funny. It's a funny show. I enjoy watching it. But when someone has taken it in that much, all of a sudden it has relevance for everything. And the same can and should be true of our relationship to the scriptures. As we take it in more and more, steady streams of this 
book, these words, it has an effect. It retrains our brain, and suddenly it's having implications and relevance for everyday life. Psalm 119, verses 12 to 16. Steph read these for us. Lord, may you be blessed. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. I'm going to say these things out loud. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts. I will think about your ways. I will delight in your statues. I will not forget your word. That seems to be the words of someone committing to day by day saturate themselves in these truths. Let me make a quick note before moving on here. Saturating yourself, I'm saying this in love, but somewhat firmly, saturating yourself in the podcast of your favorite preacher or Bible teacher or Christian thinker is not the same as saturating yourself in the scriptures. Again, we live in a world, thanks to all these devices that we carry around with us, where we can saturate ourselves in the words of John Mark Comer, John Tyson, John Piper, all the Johns. Um, and, and, and hear me, friends, like I have benefited from all these teachers and more. And I'm not going to, you know, stop listening to their podcasts and all of that. But if you can more quickly relate something going on in your life to something John Mark Comer said than something that Jesus said, I'd say maybe our priorities are a little out of whack. Psalm 119, verse 100 is remarkable. Here's what the writer says. I understand more than the elders because I obey your precepts. Now, if you've spent time in the scriptures, you know that uh, respecting and showing value and uh, a, a deference to authority are all important parts of the scriptures. So I don't think what the author is saying, forget those guys. I think what the, com- the comments that, that, that is being made is that we all have access to the truths contained here. We all can saturate ourselves in these things, and we don't have to wait. Lastly, so maybe, maybe you feel some reverence for this book. Maybe it even has some practical significance in your life. You read it often. But maybe, as you look at your relationship to the Bible, there is very little of personal significance there. You don't feel anything sort of uh, relational stirred up in you. Maybe you've read the whole thing. Maybe you have whole chunks memorized. But the time that you spend in the scriptures, you leave that time maybe understanding a little bit more, having a new thought to to ponder, but nothing is going on in your heart. I have a suggestion for you. I've got lots of suggestions this morning. If you're in that boat, slow down. Slow down. You're like the person constantly eating on the go and never sitting down to savor a rich meal. Psalm 119, verse 41 says, Let your faithful love come to me, Lord. 
your salvation as you promised. If you spend time moving through Psalm 119, you see not only someone growing in understanding, but experiencing a deepening love and affection for God, his ways, and his word. If this is true of you, if, you know, you've done the Bible in a year, you've memorized chunks of scripture, but it does little in your heart, as I said, slow down. Something my grandfather taught me years and years ago. My grandfather is a a student and lover of this book, and he said one of his favorite things to do, and it's become a helpful practice for me, is to take one verse, one verse, and to read it a, a word at a time. You add a word each time you go through. The scripture will open up to you in new ways. Another practice is uh, something called Lectio Divina. We don't have time to talk about this now, but a practice for helping us not only engage our minds, but also our hearts as we read the scriptures. Journaling in the margins of your Bible or in a journal. What is God, like what's going on in your heart as you read? Journaling, I don't know about you, but... uh, Journaling for me has become a slower and slower practice as I handwrite less and less. Um, you know, I'm like, it's like I'm learning to write all over again each time I pick up a pen, which is embarrassing. But I don't think that's entirely bad. It forces us to slow down and think about the words we're reading, the words we're writing. Slow down and savor what's going on here. God wants to connect with your heart, not just with your head. So what can this do for us? We've talked about this a little bit as we've gone, but if you were to engage in these disciplines in some way, some way of stirring some new reverence for this book, finding new practical significance in it, maybe engaging on a relational level in ways that you haven't before, what could this do? Well, as we said, God's word can meet you, can meet you in real life, in the decisions that you make throughout your day, in the way that you communicate with others, when you run into conflict, God's word can meet you there. You will begin, I believe, to see your story in light of this big story of God's story that's been playing out for centuries. Your story is a part of that. And this book has things to say about it. It's a lonely way to move through life, believing that I'm, like, do I have a purpose here? Am, is, is, is my life contributing to, to anything? There are answers here, friends. Seeing your story in light of God's story gives us a purpose and a joy that we would otherwise be missing. You will become armed, I believe, with weapons. Scriptures talk about this, with weapons for moments of discouragement and spiritual attack. There are other tools at our disposal. I see a therapist. I'm a deep believer in in breathing. We, We do that on Sunday mornings. All of those things matter, but this does too. There are resources available for us for moments of discouragement, spiritual attack. And again, you might not even be thinking in those terms unless you spend some time here. Lastly, when we saturate ourselves in God's word, We are becoming fluent. We're becoming fluent in the language that believers across the world and across the centuries all speak together. This common language 
of what God has done for us, what he's doing now, what he's going to do at the end of all things. This is our shared language and vocabulary, friends. Learn to speak it. So, as I wrap up, let me plead with you not to do something going out of our time here, okay? Do not leave with a sense of guilt or shame over your present relationship with this book. Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for many years, and this has, you know, very little relevance of any kind to your life. Do not leave burdened with guilt and shame. I do not believe that that would be from God. Consider, rather, where you want to start to change that relationship. A little bit. Turn the needle just, just a bit. How can you change your relationship with this book in order to deepen your relationship with the God of all creation who loves you and has things to say to you? And start planning some simple steps to get there. I'm going to invite Sam up. Uh, I'm going to pray here in a second. Um, I was just having a conversation with someone before the service. They said, how often do we do communion? A great question. We do communion about every three weeks. Why am I talking about this? Because we have, that's part of a rhythm, uh, a three-week rhythm. So communion, we pray corporately. We try and have a, uh, you know, uh, one week we have a longer moment of prayer uh, for something going on in our congregation, for something in our city, whatever it may be. And that third week is a, a time where we try and tell stories. We've talked about this a little bit over the last few months of how important stories are for our life together. And so here's what I want to do. You got no warning for this. You're, you're going to get about two minutes to sing and contemplate. I would love us to share for a moment a few simple stories of ways that you are following Jesus. Rhythms that you've been engaging in that are deepening your love for your relationship with God. Now, I would, in fact, invite, they don't just, ha- they, they, let me start the sentence again. They may be short, um, and I think that's actually best in a moment like this. Don't feel like you need to tell a long, drawn-out story. Give us a, a simple story of a new rhythm that you've been engaging in. Maybe it's through this the time spent in this series. Maybe it's not. Maybe it was something you started before that, but something that is deepening your relationship with God, okay? So we were, we're going to sing a song. I'm going to move this mic into the most anxiety-inducing place for a handful of you um, right here. And uh, in a moment, we'll just come up. You, that is. I'm not going to come up. Um, I've been up here. Uh, but I'd invite you to come up and share a simple story of a practice you've been engaged in, okay? We're going to sing, and then we'll do that.